Hey, peeps, this is Trish. I want to share something with you today. So back in the day when I was starting Spring OT, we had grown, we had some admin help, we had a therapist or two, and I had systems, let's put that in quotations, meaning I had like spreadsheets and Google Docs and more spreadsheets and a few emails. And finally, my therapist and my team, very small team, begged me to do something all under one umbrella. No more duct tape systems, they said, Trish. Please, please get a real system. So what did you do, Trish? Well, Ashley, let me tell you, <laughs> I always talk about time being precious and needing to buy back our time because we've only got two assets. We've got time is money and time is the most limited resource that we have. I'm on a mission to help OT entrepreneurs save that time, no more $10 tasks, so that you can use it for what really matters. And that is being the CEO of your company who can implement your growth. Only you can do that. Agreed. So, yeah, I know. I know you believe in this. So when you have systems in place, everything just falls into line. That chaos that you feel turns into order. The duct tape goes away. And you know, you become clear and have more control. So I want you, the listeners, to imagine what it would be like to have more time to pursue the ambitions and the mission and the impact that you want to have as you grow your OT business instead of just drowning in all those routine tasks. So you turned all that chaos into order and <laughs> yep. you got a system in place yep. and not just, you know, papers and Excel and duct tape, but you got an EMR that exactly. brought everything together. That is exactly why I built Therabyte for OTs just like you who are growing your business. And I know that that's a past version and a current version of you as you step back into working a little bit with clients. So uh, if you are still looking for that EMR to suit your needs, Therabyte is the EMR for OTs. So head over to therabyte.app to learn more about it. And if you want to hang out a little bit more with me, not only did I build the Therabyte, but I'm also guest coaching in Trisha's program, Road to 100K, until the end of June. We're so check that out, a, too. We're happy to have a systems expert in there. Thanks, Ashley. You're welcome, Trish. Take care. Therabyte.app. Hi there. Welcome to OTs Get Paid the podcast for OT entrepreneurs, where we learn about everything you need to know to move from thinking like a therapist to acting like a CEO and making good money along the way. Are you curious how to continue to be true to your mission of helping others as an OT and get paid what you're worth? Do you want to know the best tips that add zeros to your bank account? Do you wonder how other OTs do it too? I'm your host, Trish Williams. A Canadian, a mom, a not-so-closet choir nerd, an occupational therapist of over 26 years. I spent most of those years loving my profession, but secretly wishing I could get paid a lot more. Did I feel like I had an important job that had great impact on my clients and society? Check. 
Did I also wish I could feel validation in that work through getting paid enough to feel financial freedom? Check, check. So finally in my 40s, as a single mom who needed to get real with my income, I built two six-figure businesses, including my latest as an OT entrepreneur coach at Trish Williams Consulting. And through this, I heard the secret shame that others felt the same way too. So I'm raising my voice and raising my profile of this issue and probably raising my prices. I'm here to talk about OTs making money. So let's do like Scrooge McDuck and dive into those giant piles of gold coins and get swimming and start this episode. Welcome, OT entrepreneurs, to episode 50. Today, we are talking about OT influencers. Can you make money being an OT influencer? And is there even such a thing? Have any of you ever thought to monetize your inner Kardashian? (laughs) And try another way of making money through Instagram influencing or YouTube influencing or other types of social media influencing. Well, today's guest has done just that. Stay tuned and listen to Lindsay DeLong. Welcome, Lindsay. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, I'm so happy that you are here as well. As I briefly mentioned in the intro, Lindsay and I met at the Rehab Tech Summit, where Lindsay was sitting on a panel as a social media, what was it, guru, leader, (laughs) influencer? Yeah, something like that. Yep. (laughs) Um, As an occupational therapist, I was the moderator and we just clicked and connected. And I immediately thought of bringing you forward to share what it's like to be an OT influencer and to tell us how you get paid for that. So let's start right there, Lindsay. How do you get paid? Meaning, tell us about you and what you do. So I manage two social media platforms. One is Instagram and one is YouTube. I get paid in two different ways via those two platforms. The first way I get paid is through affiliates. I partner with primarily Amazon. I have some Walmart, as well as some smaller companies that I've worked with that when I share a link to a product, I receive a small commission. And that commission ranges from 2% to higher. If it's a smaller company, typically it can go as high as 50%. So affiliate marketing is one way that I receive payment. Now, the nice thing about affiliate marketing, it doesn't cost anything extra for the users who click the links. The second way I get paid is YouTube specific. And YouTube, once you reach a threshold of 1,000 followers, you become eligible for ads through Google AdSense. And you get paid based on kind of a bunch of behind the scenes algorithms that establish your rate of pay per minute of view time for your videos. And so that is the secondary. And actually that is the primary way I get paid. That is a significant portion of the income that I earn. And what is your area of expertise? What are you making content about? So my content is going to be almost entirely based around the adaptive equipment, home modification, life modification techniques that I have kind of 
focused my career around when I transitioned into home health. So that is basically the vast majority of my content. The end viewer is kind of a variety of individuals. It can be OTs, OT students. I have physical therapists, so practitioners, as well as caregivers and client patients. So I kind of hit a large spectrum of end users for my content. You sure do. How long have you been an OT for? And how long has this been something, how long has this been your niche? Not necessarily the content creation, but the adaptive equipment, home and life mods. So I have been an OT for 10 years. This is my 10th anniversary year. And thank you. It feels crazy to even say that, but (laughs) I've been in home health for six and a half of those 10 years. I transitioned into it after having my first child for the flexibility and getting into home health is where I really started to narrow down my interest in the area of home modifications, lifestyle adaptation to just kind of keep people engaged in the home and community. And I found there was an incredibly deep need for that. So I just started digging in and creating content around it because it truly is the area that I find most satisfying when I'm doing the work in person one-on-one. So this is what I find so interesting, Lindsay. First of all, I need to call out my own bias in that (laughs) I am older than you, than most people actually listening to this podcast. So I didn't grow up with influencers. Like it wasn't a part of my 10-year OT journey, let's say. But I have worked with, you know, hundreds of clients of OT entrepreneurs. And here's kind of a traditional path. I see OT entrepreneurs jumping in and creating one-on-one direct services in their niche. And then they realize they have a business on their hands, right? They kind of get to that 50K level, reaching for that 100K level or more. And then they start recognizing that there's a way to get their time back. And so they want to trade time for money and either build an agency where they have more therapists giving the service, or they hire a team to help them with their product or their service or whatever, or they create a few other revenue streams, or they get really smart on their profit margins, which is something we've been talking about a ton in the 100K Club. And people kind of come to me in that grow phase and they're saying, oh, I should really create a course is what they often say. And that's not always what's necessary. You can build strategic alliances. You can get paid as an affiliate. You can get paid as a content creator. So I often make these recommendations to people who have been in business for a while and their eyes kind of pop out of their sockets and they're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was a possibility. So that's what I find so interesting about you, Lindsay, is that you've kind of, you jumped there so quickly. So let's talk about that question that I ask so many people, that fist on the table moment, like there's got to be a better way moment. Tell me how that happened for you and happened for you in this way so quickly. So it's really interesting. And I, I've not actually had somebody pose it to me so eloquently. So thank you, because it's oh. really giving me an opportunity to think about it. I, from the very beginning, had no anticipated financial gain from what I was doing, which may be a little bit backwards and totally contrary to what you were talking about. What I wanted to do was create something that had value for the people I knew were struggling in the community. That was my only motivation up front. So what eventually happened from that is my husband, who has an MBA, is business savvy, has an entrepreneurial mindset looked at this and said, not only are you providing value and you're building a community just purely by showing up consistently, 
but there are ways to monetize this. So without his kind of nudging me to understand that monetization process, I would have kept doing it for free, which mm-hmm. how many OTs have you heard say that, right? 99.9%. We all do yeah. it. But he said, you can do this in a way that doesn't directly cost your end user anything. And that's when we started digging into the monetization of these social media platforms and understanding that process. And the YouTube place is where we really started because YouTube has a really solid foundation of paying its creators in a pretty fair market way. And the beauty of the content that I create is it's evergreen. None of my content, aside from if there's new modifications and new equipment techniques and things like that, which I would certainly update my content as I go, and I'm always making new content, one video a week is all it takes, that continues to build financially because I can go on vacation for two weeks and I'm still going to pocket money from the videos I made six years ago. You know, And once I realized that, I mean, that talk about a fist on the table moment, it's like, I'm going to make one video a week knowing that I can continue to have this quote unquote side hustle, I could go back to working as a traditional OT and I can pocket an extra $1,500 every month for stuff that I did six years ago. You know, that's an incredibly motivating thing to learn. Instagram was different. Instagram and the affiliate marketing and the effort that goes into that process and building the community has been a much steeper learning curve because it's it's newer. It's a little bit more outside the traditional realm of finance. You know, they don't do a traditional model of paying their their creators. They're getting there, but it's still tricky. And I'm still on the small side. I have about seventeen thousand followers on Instagram now, but that's still considered a micro influencer. So they're not shelling out a lot of cash. But affiliate marketing is an opportunity for somebody like myself who demonstrates products to really have an opportunity to share stuff that I'm passionate about and then get a small income without having to, you know, sell my own product. You know, I'm creating an educational opportunity that makes it easy for people to find things. And again, the end user isn't having to spend a dime, which for me felt good and it felt comfortable. And it was because I'm not a natural born salesperson. I don't get comfortable with that. So those two factors really played into creating revenue streams in that manner versus jumping into creating a product, a course. There are obviously thought processes for growing this in the future that do involve more of that type of revenue stream opportunity, but establishing these two first revenue streams made the most sense for me. I have said this again and again, that somehow I'm going to have to put out something called the accidental entrepreneur. Uh, I don't know what it is. It might be the book I have yet to write. I don't know. But that's what I love so much about this time in entrepreneurship and this season of all of us accessing each other over the internet. And soon it will seem a little banal, but it still doesn't to me. It's still pretty amazing that you're like, you're doing your silopreneur thing and then you back into this. And, you know, somebody listening to this is not only going to make this a change in their business right now, but there's OT students, there's people that are thinking of starting out. And instead of, you know, I have a theory and I'll ask it as an open-ended question to you that, you know, I'm curious and I have a theory, I wonder how many young people are going to start thinking they can start as OT influencers because they have grown up with that. You know, I have I have young adult children. I mean, my daughter's been talking about the Kardashians <laughs> for a very long time, right? So I guess what I'm wondering is, and we'll get into the nitty gritty in a second, I wonder how many people are going to do it more quickly. 
than you do. I mean, they have the edge, right? They have that comfort level with the medium. The one thing that's really interesting and that took me a long time to understand that as a new grad, even if I had had the exposure to the media, I mean, I was a freshman in college when Facebook was born. So I've been there for kind of the birth of this. I was kind of in that like that zone of it. But the one thing that took me a really long time to understand was the incredible importance of understanding what your value is. Mm -hmm. You can't just show up. That's not the first step. The first step is understanding what you're bringing to the table and then showing up consistently with that. It's really easy to just show up with your random thoughts of the day. and that. (laughs) (laughs) But if you don't already have an audience, none of that matters. And so building an audience around what you can bring to the table. And I'm not saying that students or even new grads don't have that because they absolutely have expertise and they may be able to create things. And I'm sure they have quicker than it took me. But I do think it takes a little bit of life experience to build that awareness around like what it is that I'm bringing and being confident in it because you can't half it. You can't fake it because you will get called out. (laughs) You will get called out really hard and that can be really defeating and it can kind of slow you down a little bit. So yes and no, I guess is a very good way to answer an open-ended question. (laughs) I think it's the answer to everything in OT. The times I was on faculty, I feel like almost every single day the students would ask me a question. I'd be like, well, it depends. And they'd be like, no, no. Not again. (laughs) say the answer. (laughs) Well, Thank you for indulging me in that because I've actually was very curious as to your thoughts and opinions on it. Let's get into some nitty gritty. Let's talk about what has your income been and what are your income goals for your content creation? So I started doing content creation and I'm not going to call it full-time because I still only work three days a week. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Three full days, like three eight-hour days? I do three six-hour days. And those are the hours that my both children are in school. So Mm -hmm. I have two young children. So Tuesdays and Thursdays, my youngest is home with me. So I don't work. I do work. But it's like, you know, I try to kind of move the schedule. So I only work about, I'm going to say 20 hours a week is pretty typical for me. And if I were doing this full-time, I think I could produce a lot more content. But I don't think that that's necessary. So that's a different conversation, but the financial piece of it would be that I started in 2020 doing this at that 20 hour a week. I left my clinical practice work at that time and I was making $0 for the first 12 months I was at it. Oh no, not zero. I was making about $50 a month on affiliate. In 2021, I was able to hit that thousand subscriber mark on YouTube and immediately started putting ads on my YouTube videos. And I was able to make about $500 a month from that, right? Just poop right off the bat. And I was, I was starting to increase my affiliate income at that time as well. To date this year, I'm on track to earn about, I'm averaging about $2,000 a month between affiliate and YouTube. And it increases about 15 to 20% every two months. So the growth rate is really interesting and it shows the value of consistently posting because right now I do two reels, one YouTube video, and then I show up, I put my face on Instagram via stories, try to do it daily. And that's, that's really all I do. And I'm seeing growth consistently. So, and and that's, that's only with two revenue streams. 
So it's hard to say the exact income, but to date, I'm doing about $2,000 a month just on those two revenue streams. Are there any trends that are coming up in what you're doing, like without adding any? Hey, Trish. Yes, Ashley. As an OT entrepreneur who's just starting to make money, I bet you've thought, oh my gosh, I just got my first few clients. What the heck do I do now? Don't worry. At Therabyte, we have you covered. We heard you and we created intake and consent templates just for you. So you've downloaded the template and now you can say, amazing, I know exactly how to get my client started. Oh, I wish I'd had this in the beginning. I pulled everything together and needed something this efficient. Okay, so where can listeners find these templates, Ashley? Super easy. The link will be in the show notes. You just hop over to our website, find templates, and you've got your download. Sounds great. Anything extra, like all of a sudden designing a course, let's say, on how to become a content creator as an OT. Are there any trends or do you know if that 20% every two months is increasing? Like what's next? What do you have your eye on in this space? So there are a couple of ways to amplify your growth without adding any additional revenue streams. I have to say it'll start to taper and it'll fluctuate. The summer months are always lower because Mm -hmm. there are fewer viewers. Typically the ads are worth less, they pay less. So there's fluctuation in that. I'm hoping to add additional revenue streams in the next year. We are in kind of in that conversation point where can I offer one-on-one consultative kind of a premium service type deal? That one is one that's been on my heart for a long time because I truly, truly miss the one-on-one. I'm an OT, (laughs) you know, first and foremost, I'm an OT and I love to help people one-on-one like that. I also think it's extremely important that I continue to have my finger on the pulse Mm -hmm. of the individuals in the community and the problems they're facing. Because if I'm not out there seeing those problems, my content is going to get stale. And so I recognize that it has multiple values. We're also looking at creating a product, not a physical piece of equipment, but an actual web-based product. I'm very fortunate in that my husband is a computer programmer for a living. And so we have a bit of a competitive advantage in the sense that I don't have to pay somebody outside to come in and do programming work for me. So we're working on adding potentially some type of widget feature to my website that would make either it easier for people to identify and locate products and make lists and things like that. We've got a couple of ideas in the pipe. Time is always of the essence though. So (laughs) we love to wax philosophical about what the next great idea would be. And it will come. We're just being patient because we can be. And that we also recognize is that coming from a point of great privilege, I am able to be patient. And I recognize that that's not the case for everybody. So right now we're good with the stream and with the content creation that we're doing. We're in a good rhythm with it. It works well with our family, but there's dreams, there's future for this. And I think that we've proven that there's an audience and that was always the curiosity to start with. Uh, Wow. I just love this conversation because you're answering (laughs) questions and like, you know, this is a relatively new space for me as well. I mean, I know it generally, but it's great to hear your expertise coming through. Thank you already. Thank you. You know, I have a coach who is very clear, at least her belief that I now 100% subscribe to and now teach my own people that you can really only focus on one 
of four things a quarter. And that is traffic, leads, like getting an email address or getting them in your pipeline, transaction, meaning like the money, honey, or data. Mm -hmm. So when I say that, which one would you say that you've been focusing on the most over the last while? What was the first term? Traffic. Traffic. When we started this, it was kind of an experiment of if there even was traffic. Mm -hmm. I produced three YouTube videos six years ago, mostly for my own practical use because I needed to be at, have something to share with patients on how to install their raised toilet seats. That was the whole point. And that video hit 50,000 views and my husband had been watching that. I had been ignoring it completely. And he's like, there it is. You have something that he as an entrepreneur had been looking for for so long. And that was eyeballs. And he's like, you've got the eyeballs, like it's time exactly. to see what you can do with that. So we have focused so much energy on building that traffic. The next step, and you're absolutely right, you can only do so much at any given time is lead generation. We are talking about, I would love to create an email list because when you put your blood, sweat and tears onto somebody else's platform, that's scary stuff. That audience can be pulled out from underneath you without any of your control. That content can be pulled off the internet without any of your control. So that's the next step is creating that leads. And, and we know it's it's in my to-do catalog of things. Well, and I don't want to, I mean, what I picked up on was that measured quality. So we've talked about the fact you have done this quickly in terms of jumping on a new, like, I'll be so interested to hear how this interview ages in three years. Oh, yeah. Right? When we're like, oh, remember, like, Lindsay was doing such breakthrough, and now it's like, you know, Everybody's even Trish as <laughs> a YouTube channel. But you know what I'm saying. Like, you yeah. do it quickly, and yet I do want to highlight to people that it has been measured. And even if you didn't have that framework, you knew it inherently. and. I just think that's really important to highlight because I like to think like the listener and I bet that there's tons of listeners out there that right now that are like, okay, well, I'm five years out of OT school and I'm like, I love the Kardashians too. And this just, uh, you know, this just sounds great. I was going to be a travel blocker, but now, right. And so, you know, focus on one of those, those core things. Yeah. Yeah. And I will add to that too, is you become a student right? When you do this type of thing, the first thing I did was start to dig into what was already there. Who's on YouTube doing this and do it and knocking it out of the park and who's on YouTube doing this and seemingly struggling. Why aren't they growing and starting to study those things again, that curiosity piece, that perpetual student piece, which I think OTs, OTs are so good at this. Um, it's just part of our mentality has made the process I've gained a lot more quickly because I was willing to just kind of sit on YouTube in the evenings after my kids went to bed and watch videos, Bob and Brad, the two most famous physical therapists on the internet. Why do they have two and a half million subscribers? What are they doing? And kind of become a student of that. And that's all you can do. There's not a lot of courses out there for how to make this work, you know? I agree. Well, let's dig a little bit into some of that how-to. So, you know, we brought you here to talk about the fact that this exists <laughs> and how people can use it in even their own traditional, you know, business sense or encourage them to follow in your tracks. And we were talking earlier about 
you know, a common thing that OTs are saying when I, before we hit record, I was asking, what is the common theme that you hear? Are you hearing OTs saying like, oh, this is easy breezy cover girl. Like I'll just start this tomorrow or this is really hard. And you said that one of the main things that you were hearing from OTs was this feels so far out of my expertise. And I'd like you to start breaking down the solution for people in terms of the how-tos. So when it comes to content creation, and if we focus, I'll start in the YouTube category because I do feel like that has a lot of questions around it and not a lot of understanding of like how to get it started and rolling. YouTube content is intimidating because of the upfront startup effort, right? You have to have the film equipment, you you know, and, and I'll be honest, I film all of my YouTube videos on an iPhone, all of my videos. They have 4K. It's brilliant. I mean, you don't need a fancy thing. You need good audio equipment. That is not something you can skimp on. Quality audio and understanding how quality audio works is so important. Lighting. These are like the the behind the scenes things that I had to watch YouTube videos to learn how to do. And between my husband and I, we kind of stumbled our way through it. And I watched some of my old videos and cringe because we were still figuring it out. And that's okay. That is okay. It doesn't have to look highly produced and beautiful right off the bat. So that's a really important thing for the start. Like, just try. Just see what you can put together. Kind of get your feet wet. Know that it's going to feel awkward to stare at a camera and talk to it. The way I treat it is I'm I'm teaching people. That's that's My videos are almost entirely how-to because that's what I'm most comfortable doing. I treat the camera like a patient or a client, and I... I teach you how to do something. I am comfortable with that. (laughs) And then we go from there. I do not script anything ever because it's awkward when I do. It feels forced knowing yourself in that process. That's kind of how it started. You know, it was just, we fumbled our way through it for a while and, you know, we didn't take it too seriously and we weren't afraid to admit when something didn't work. That's kind of how we started. And then we found a groove. Now we've got it down to a science you know, and that's, it's just like anything. Once you you get that repetitive muscle memory of how it's done, I've got my, you know, sign off down to, I can get that thing out. You know, it's just, you just kind of continue to repeat it and it gets easier over time. You do have the expertise. Anybody can really do this. I truly believe that. And I'm moti- I've, I've helped three other friends of mine, a PT, an OT and a speech therapist all get their YouTube channels going. Cause I'm like, you should be here too, but it's intimidating. And it's alone. It's a very lonely space. So that can be a little bit of a a pill battle as well. Do you think it's a lonelier space than OT entrepreneurship in general? Yes, I do. When it comes to OT entrepreneurship in a space where there's the social component built in, right? You're going to have to build community partnerships. You're going to have to have regular social interactions. You can create a YouTube channel without a single other soul. You can be completely alone in a room with thousands of subscribers and be utterly alone. And it's, I mean, it's an echo chamber, right? And I think that for me is still the thing I struggle with the most. I'm a social creature and I also thrive on feedback. And when the only feedback you get is the occasional comment and I'm going to tell you, those comments are not always savory mm-hmm, ones. Mm-hmm. You have to be ready to kind of grow a thick skin and look for your 
engagement. Look for that social piece elsewhere. That's where Instagram came from for me. I was lonely on YouTube. I was desperate to have connection and find a mastermind, to find a group of people that I could learn from who were in a similar space. And that's that's where I went. Instagram was where I found that. And a lot of people do it on Facebook. I know there's other ways, but YouTube, that's the greatest challenge for me. It is a lonely echo chamber in there, but it's a moneymaker if you know what you're doing. <laughs> Which we like talking about on the OTs Get Paid podcast. I Yes, that's an important piece. <laughs> Does YouTube have like a really good helpline? Do you, my mind has about a billion questions. Is there like a YouTube group for YouTube content creators? Do they have like a retreat? Like, do you hire somebody to help you with the tech? Like who then does support you? And I guess I'm talking about fulfilling the loneliness of the space and learning about the monetization of the space and the tech of the space. It's it's not the world's best interview question because I asked about a hundred. <laughs> no, I am I was we'll there. I'm there with you though. I understand okay. what you're saying. YouTube is interesting because there is, you know that old saying where if you want to be a billionaire, you can mine for gold or a millionaire you mine for gold. But if you want to be a billionaire, you start selling the shovels. Yeah. YouTube is like that. So a lot of where you learn to YouTube is from YouTubers who teach YouTube. <laughs> and it drives me kind That's of crazy. Super meta. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. Well, welcome to the metaverse. There I mean, we go. It, Instagram's the same way. There's influencers who just thrive on teaching influencers. And it drives me bananas because I'm like, y'all can't all be selling shovels. Some of you got to go mine the gold, you know? And so at first, that was how I was learning the YouTube algorithms. I read books. But my husband, again, God bless him. I don't know where I'd, I'd be dead in a ditch. No, I'd be no. I'd be working in home health and I'd be doing just fine. But I wouldn't have experienced any of this if it wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. He was the one who turned me on to other YouTubers that he knew through the entrepreneurial space who were using YouTube to grow their own businesses. And he was like, they weren't really people that I could connect with from an OT standpoint, but at least I could connect with them on a YouTube standpoint and be like, what are you guys doing? Why are you so successful? Once I found a few who were willing to take some time and talk to me, Mm. I could do that. But without my husband's initial connection to them, there's not an easy way to get to these folks. You can't DM, you can't private message them. You can continually comment on their videos and hope they see you. Some offer courses, some offer masterminds. It's pricey. There's a lot of barriers to entry when it comes to that. And that I think is one of the great downsides to YouTube and why a lot of people stay away from it. Um, It's just really hard to feel that connection. So I think that for me, I've tried to be an open book for individuals who are curious Mm -hmm. because there's just not a lot of us who are available and willing to answer those questions. I found it to be very difficult when I got started. Mm -hmm. And no, there's no retreats. They haven't invited me anywhere. (laughs) There's no YouTube island. Should be. I mean, exactly. it's owned by Google. I'm sure just Google has say, yeah. <laughs> And the Kardashians. What's, what am I slagging on the Kardashians for today? Listen, I, I actually know. think Kim is like pretty smart. But anyways, that's a whole know, other kettle whole of fish. Um, so tell me briefly, because you know I'm hearing about rinse and repeat, which I'm hearing about systems. And I'm a big proponent of working on your business and not just in your business. 
Give us a brief overview of what your system would look like. So, for example, do you have a Trello board? Do you have, uh, you know, Google Sheets? Do you have, you know, a morning CEO time? Do you have like a, a notes app on your phone where you download all your ideas? Like, tell me a bit about the system to bring these videos and this content forward. Mm-hmm. So I use a lot of deep research into the SEO, the search engine optimization. Who, what are people looking for? What questions can I answer that are already being sought out? And so I use a program called Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S. And they are where I go to kind of get my mind going and to start creating. And then I create sticky notes on my desktop of my computer. I find those to be, I just have always been a sticky note lover. Mm -hmm. And I create- Another OT prereq, I think. I think it is too. Mm -hmm. They're colorful and whatever. And they're easy to edit. So I keep sticky notes of YouTube content ideas. And then I keep sticky notes of Reels content ideas because they're different. And then I create a sticky note of equipment needed. So any equipment that I need for those videos, because that's a huge one. And that's a big cost that I incur. I buy most of the equipment myself. Some gets donated by companies who are interested in me reviewing a product. But again, I don't partner with those companies. So most of it just gets bought out of my bank account. And so I create a list of the equipment that I need. And then once I've purchased the equipment, I highlight that video saying it's ready to go. I do not script my videos, but I do rehearsals. So on Mondays, I do my reels. And typically I've spent about the previous 48 hours watching reels and seeing what's trending on audio. Cause that's an important feature of producing quality reels is knowing what's trending. Cause that's going to help you boost your views. So I do a trending audio pull. I pull all the trending audio that I like that I think might work for my reels. And every Monday I film two reels. I have only recently been able to get this down to an organizational <laughs> standpoint because it was this is this is a lot of moving pieces, and my kids are always sick, so there's usually <laughs> there's usually stuff that Very gets it true. Like, <laughs> they're young, you know, they're five and five and eight, so it's yeah. Then I do so I do two reels on Mondays, and then I spend the rest of the day answering emails. I do some speaking stuff. I've done quite a few presentations recently, so I'm working on all of that. I call that kind of the administrative time that's not content creation. Mm-hmm. I film my YouTube video around my husband's work schedule. When he has availability, we film the video. It takes about an hour from beginning to end to film a YouTube video. That video then gets edited at my nearest convenience and gets posted for a scheduled release on Sunday mornings. And so that's really my content creation. And then When it comes to Instagram, I try to be pretty fluid with it. I don't have a ton of planned content for like what I'm going to say in stories or sometimes I have stuff that I like to put out there, but typically it's a very like, I always respond to my DMs. I'm really, really intense about that to the point where people are like, geez, you respond quickly. And I'm kind of embarrassed, like just sitting on it waiting. (laughs) I'm so lonely here in YouTube land. Yes, come talk to me. me on social IG. (laughs) Please. Yeah. There's another, there's another tip. Find the loneliest YouTuber in the world. (laughs) And you, hi, I'm here. They'll talk to you. I'm in the basement. Come find me. (laughs) Hey, I'm in the closet. We're doing great. It's not a sexy life, people. (laughs) It's not. It's not. Especially when you're climbing in and out of bathtubs with amazing lighting and your husband holding an iPhone. <laughs> That's, I mean, sitting on toilets. I'm, I, I mean, love it. putting on it, some socks. 
Yes. In the middle stuff. of January with like dry feet. See, can, Are we doing can I tell you, job selling? can I tell yeah. you, I just filmed a reel yesterday that is going to be released either tomorrow or Thursday. And it is of a foot washing device. And my husband walks in, he's like, this is too much. And he wouldn't even take a picture of that. He's like, <laughs> so it's like, it's not glamorous. It's chaotic, no. but it's, as long as I'm still having fun, I'm going to still do it. And so I really try to take it lightly. I got really bogged down on the bra video I just did. And I have to say, that's a big piece of this is like, it's a very self-conscious process of seeing yourself on camera all the time. And I've had, I mean, I'm a child of the, of the eighties and nineties. So innately I have body image issues. (laughs) Diet culture got me good. And so I definitely can see myself spiraling and having some like anxiety moments and things like that. When I have to stare at myself on screen, that's like an unspoken piece of this. You can get shook, or at least I do. And I, I make that clear. It's like, this is, can be really a bummer of a situation when people make really bold statements about your looks or, you know, and, and so I have to move past those you things. Think too. I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is not by accident. <laughs> but the thing is, mm-hmm. I have body image issues, but I also am a gigantic ham and love to be on screen. I have since I was a child. Mm-hmm. So it's a fascinating psychological adventure that I am on right now that just also so happens to be a growing business. Um, it's wild. It really, truly is. Really? It really it's, is wild. It's a journey. It's it a is. journey. You know, and I can appreciate where you're coming from because like I, you really are in your basement and I really am in studio bedroom closet, studio C. And, you know, I always said to my parents way back when I would have been an actress if I was any good and I wasn't. And I have eked out a teeny weeny chip of singing in public. But realistically, it came down to like medicine, rehab, or teaching, I think, as it does for so many of us. Mm -hmm. And I remember having this light bulb moment and saying to my parents, OTs teach. And I miss that. I miss not staring at my face in a computer. I mean, I teach clients every day, but that kind of getting out of your own face, right? Getting out of your own ear and really looking across at Mr. and Mrs. Smith who are trying to age in place or get out of the hospital or discharge to home. In my case, it's like rolling around with, you know, little Luke on the floor who's five years old, your typical quirky five-year-old boy. Like, and I thrived talking to those parents. That was some of the most important work of my life. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're saying is so, so very valuable because I bet so many people listening to this can relate to that true experience. Like I think of it as almost an energy exchange. It's almost magic. It is. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to describe it to people who don't experience that. You know, I partner with my husband and I've mentioned him a few times. He doesn't know that part of what he's never felt that. Mm -hmm. And when I tell him, you know, this is hard for me. And he's just like, this is a piece of cake. You do, you're, you're natural on the camera. This looks like you're having fun. I said, "I, I am, but a piece of me still desperately needs that. So what I've, what has helped me and hopefully will help listeners who are considering going into content creation is finding the community and holding on to them and supporting the heck out of them. Because that's ultimately the only reason I wanted to do this in the first place. If somebody DMs me with a complex question, 
I'm going to listen. I may not be able to answer it in all of its complexity, but I'm going to give you my ear. I'm going to give you a minute of my time and I'm going to care if nothing else. And not because I'm going to make money off of that interaction, but because that interaction is going to keep me going, is going to give me the energy I need to make my next bit of content that I will make money on, you know? And so you can't do everything for financial gain and especially in content creation because you will burn out faster than you can imagine. Faster even than working in a hospital setting during a pandemic, really? which is hard to imagine because I, I did work <laughs> I did work in a hospital during the pandemic and I can say I hit burnout with my content creation twice as fast because of the the solitude because of the lack of that, like you say, that energy exchange of getting feedback from people and seeing how your recommendations are working for them mm-hmm. in the moment. I'm making recommendations and hoping somebody's getting value out of them. Mm-hmm. It's a very different experience from it from as a practitioner. And so when somebody gives me feedback, I take it and I absorb it and I appreciate it. And I think that that's really what has pushed me to continue to go. And continues. And I've gotten this last week, I have gotten the most beautiful people writing me things that have brought me to tears nearly, mm-hmm. not because of what they're saying is so incredibly flattering or anything, but just because they took the time out to say thank you or hey, that worked for me or that worked for my loved one. And it's like, that's all I need. I just need exactly. a little, just a little hit, just a little, you know. So that's yeah. a super important part of this. I built a framework for OTs get paid. And in the middle of the Venn diagram is becoming a paid peep. And the three pillars surrounding that are increasing profit, increasing clarity, and increasing impact. And I feel as though I could easily change the name of this podcast to OTs want more impact or OTs want more impact and less time. OTs want more freedom is actually another biggie. biggie we want biggie. autonomy. Mm-hmm. We want to be trusted for the knowledge that we bring to the table. And one of the things that the healthcare system did to me and does to so many others is it tells us that we don't bring much. And I disagreed. <laughs> I saw what I could do and I knew I was good at it. And that's the confidence that somebody 10 years in has that a new grad might not have. You are so important to this system. And what I realized is when I started making those videos and realized, oh my gosh, people are coming to YouTube to find this stuff out because they're not getting it from their healthcare. (laughs) That's super, super sad. But also it gave me this moment of like, they didn't have to wait for insurance. They didn't have to wait for somebody to tell them what was the right way to heal or what, you know they went and started empowering themselves. And I was like, you know what? (laughs) I like that. As an OT in this space, I am not bound to the limits of the insurance provider, of the healthcare system, of the referral source. I am only bound to the limits of technology, which Mm -hmm. is pretty limitless these days. It's a beautiful thing. It's another piece of this that endlessly motivates me because I'm like, these folks deserve this information. We are here to give it to you and you shouldn't have all these hoops to jump through to get it. Here it is. It's right here. And I will continue to give it for free. And it it pisses off your employer. <laughs> My employer did not love that I was doing this because was it's... Fla- fall- was there fallout from that? 
they did not, I, I had to disclose it. Once I started making money, I had to disclose it. My manager loved it, but her manager, not so much. She thought that there was some concerning liability issues of a practitioner in their realm giving free information without, and and I always say everything I do comes with the disclaimer of you should seek professional medical advice. Always. But for you to come to that professional with a little bit of information first, a little nugget of information first, you're going to be in a better spot. So I've always been an ask for forgiveness, not for permission, you know, in this. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a true OT entrepreneur, right? Isn't it? Isn't it? I took eight years off and was, you know, full on stay at home mom, had let my license lapse. People didn't even know I was an OT because I had moved in the middle of that as well. I taught at McMaster University, but really on the side. And I remember returning to work and I'm, it was pediatrics and I had spent oodles and oodles of times in oodles and oodles of parks getting to know a million kids. So actually I wasn't behind, I was ahead. And also I was eight years older. And I remember spending a lot of time. That was the first time I think I realized I was somewhat of a nonconformist when I was like, hmm, really? Why are they doing it that way? And not in a Judgy McJudgerson way, not in like, oh, I could do this so much better. Like I didn't want their job. (laughs) I just remember thinking, hmm. And you know, anytime anybody called the clinic, and I still do this now, like anytime I can find anybody free money, like if we had something that they could pay for, for us, or we could give them a referral to the free clinic at the hospital, we would try to do that, right? I mean, I think that ethics and that impact is at the heart of everything that we do. And there's so much that doesn't make sense. When I had my bricks and mortar, for example, I remember we called the children's hospital and we had some expert feeding people on our team. And I said, you know what? We'd love to you know, let you guys know that we're here. And if anybody that's discharged and they said, oh no, we can't recommend therapists in the community. I said, you're the Alberta children's hospital. This is feeding. Like, are you kidding me? This is a big deal. Like, you need the real deal, and it's not a quick fix. And they were like, yeah, it's against policy. We can't actually recommend providers. You know, time number 1,983 when I went, that makes no sense. Yep. yep. Oh, I, I I, can't begin. Surgical recovery was my baby for a long, orthopedic mm. surgical recovery in home health. That's our bread and butter, hips, knees, and shoulders. And while that can be really mundane work, if you're not looking outside of the box, I found it very satisfying work because I realized these people have been neglected for so long and they got that surgery and holy cow, they're getting a therapist in their home. The amount of stuff that I could cover in a therapy session that weren't super tied to that knee replacement, Mm -hmm. but absolutely needed to be addressed for their lifestyle to improve. I did, you know, Oasis doesn't love that, but you know, sometimes you've got to go in with the ethical mindset of I'm going to leave you better than I found you. I agree. Period. And the healthcare system is not going to fail from because of me. <laughs> it's not going to fail you because of me anymore. And again, that's where the videos came from. That's the heart of what I do is, do you guys get this information in a way that feels simple and digestible and functional? And the answer was no. <laughs> the answer was, I'm not, they're not getting it. So I, I'm trying something different. And I think that that's so important. And technology is helping us get there. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Oh, Lindsay, what a great conversation. I want to segue into some rapid fire questions as we are wrapping up. How does that sound? Sounds great. Okay. Away we go. What is your biggest personal money splurge? 
personal money splurge would be, so we have a house with multiple outbuildings and we have been zhuzhing up our multiple outbuildings to be finished spaces. So in addition to our house, we have like 4,000 square feet of outbuildings that are being finished slowly to be like our own little Shangri-La, like getaway. And it started because of the pandemic and we were super bored and we needed things to do. So our newest one is on its way. We have a she shed coming. That's going to be just spectacular for me and my little girls. So that's a pretty big splurge in my opinion. That <laughs> just is. On our outbuildings. Oh we have seven gosh. acres, so we can do whatever we want back here. <laughs> so you've got like your staycation place. Yes, oh exactly. <laughs> that is a delightful answer. Okay. What about business related splurge? My audio equipment. We have been steadily upgrading audio equipment and I just bought a new lapel mic that is chef's kiss. And it was like, <laughs> you know, you're geeking out when. It was like $500, which was a big purchase, a big decision, but the audio quality we're getting out of it. I tested it with the bra video. I was getting perfectly crystal clear audio through a bra, which is very exciting for me. So a sentence you never thought you'd utter when you left grad school. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to my reality. (laughs) Where do you have paid help in your life? You've talked about the unpaid help with your incredibly supportive Mm -hmm. partner. What about paid help in your life? We have paid for virtual assistants to transcribe and help us to keep posting on the website. That is one thing that has been difficult to keep up with. And we have postponed updating, but we will be hiring again to do that because it's just not something either of us wants to do. So we hire a virtual assistant for that. Well, and I've said it a million times, like at first I thought that paying for $10 tasks was smart so that you could then work on the $10,000 tasks. Like nobody else can create the content. That's you. Nobody else can be Lindsay. And now I've switched to thinking that even if you are paying $20 or $30 for somebody to do tasks and you're sitting on your butt and watching Netflix, I mean, you don't even have to be paying attention to your kids. I don't care if you're like scrolling through the Johnny Depp trial on your phone, like you do you, right? Like, right, absolutely. you need the rest in order to then come in at the $10,000 task. So I yeah. like hearing that. Okay, last question. If I could wave my magic money wand and put seven figures into your business right now, what would you spend it on? We would rapidly create a web or mobile-based platform for equipment management, whether that's for client end users or for therapists and clinics and hospital use. I don't know which one would be yet, but I would I would hire out the process so my poor husband wouldn't have to break his back trying to build out a tech solution because that stuff is pricey. <laughs> no kidding. And that's a big project. It is. It is a big project. Well, I have no doubt it will come. I just am so thrilled. I'm so lucky to be sitting in this chair and getting to highlight incredible OTs. And it's another example. You and I met, you know, one random Saturday morning on the internet at the Rehab Tech Summit. And Mm -hmm. here we are being able to bring you more forward so that people can hear and learn about what you're doing. If people want to find you, Lindsay, how do they find you? So the um, handle on both my YouTube channel and on Instagram is EquipMeOT. So E-Q-U-I-P-M-E-O-T. So that's how you would track me down. Both locations, as well as my website, which is www.equipmeot.com. And we already know Lindsay's hanging out in the DMs waiting for somebody. Come talk to me. (laughs) Just just send me me those messages, folks. (laughs) Thanks for today. (laughs) You're my pleasure. This has been OTs Get Paid, 
recorded live in Studio C. That's Studio Closet. I'm Trish Williams. If you have feedback on today's episode, send us a DM on IG at OTs Get Paid or join our Facebook group at OTs Get Paid. We would really love to hear from you. We'd also love it if you could subscribe and write a review for the podcast. Each month, I'll pick a random review for a shout out to get your name and business on the air. Until next time. <laughs>